Hey, it's Daryl. As we get started, I wanted to let you know about a new course that I just released last month, and it is called Helping Others Grow. And if you are interested, uh, I want to give you a special coupon for podcast listeners, and the code is PODCAST21, PODCAST21, and that will get you $10 off the course Helping Others Grow. If you're interested, go to gospelforlife.com, and you can find out more information there. Okay, that's it. Let's get started. Welcome to the Gospel for Life podcast. We provide clear, practical, biblical resources for discipleship. Here's your host, Daryl Dash. Is trying to be the best you actually ruining you? From living your best life to self-actualizing, finding your destiny, and waiting on the best to come, The contemporary message of the world exhort us to believe that we are promised and entitled the biggest and best life that we can possibly get. But is that actually what Jesus promised? Is it even close to the message of the gospel? A new book called Getting Over Yourself is a call for Christians to reject these hollow messages of personal prosperity and to return to the humble truths of the gospel. Most importantly, we get to learn how to combat this false gospel with gospel truth that leads to the truly abundant life. Jesus actually desires for his people to live that life. And we're gonna discover the beauty of losing ourselves and ultimately in gaining him. I'm pleased to welcome the author of Getting Over Yourself to the podcast. His name is Dean and Sarah, and he's the founding pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Dean is married to Chrissy and they have two sons and a daughter. And Dean loves baseball, wrestling, and the Miami Hurricanes. So, Dean, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. It's really great to be with you. I kind of a privilege to be on your podcast, so thank you for having me. I want to find out which baseball team you're rooting for. Yeah, so I'm a Chicago Cubs fan, and how that happened was here uh, where I live, uh, WGN, based out of Chicago, at a local channel in Chicago, uh, was a national TV station that carried the Chicago Cubs, and all their home games were at 3 p.m. So when I would come back uh, home from school to my house here in Florida, before I'd go outside and play with my friends, the only thing on TV was the Chicago Cubs. Uh, so I would watch the Cubs and became a Cubs fan because of that. You must have been thrilled to see them finally win the other year. Oh, it was wonderful. My dad, when I was a kid, sat me down and said, just so you know, if you're going to choose the Cubs, you're going to be disappointed every single year. <laughs> so it was great. to I stayed up really late that night to see it finally happen. It was, it was great. Somebody recently asked me the difference between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the uh, Chicago Cubs. And the answer, of course, is A, the Cubs won something. <laughs> and uh, two, the Cubs are lovable. So oh, that's, nah, great. that's great. <laughs> well, I really appreciate your book. I want to ask you the story behind your book. What led you to write uh, this latest book? What led me to write this latest book was that I saw this type of theology and church uh, notoriety and popularity that came with it, uh, continuing to increase without much attention uh, from discerning eyes uh, being willing to talk about it. Maybe a quick, you know, sarcastic tweet here and there or a social media post, uh, but not enough actual discernment about what's being taught in what I call these new prosperity churches. And a church where I pastor, we have a lot of college students. And a lot of these university students uh, would, would come into our town to go to Florida State University, which is located in Tallahassee. And a lot of them were already believers. And w- but what they were exposed to in the Christian faith was only these type of pastors, this new prosperity gospel, those type of books, 
uh, very prevalent and popular on Instagram. And this was their context of the Christian faith. And we just really saw that we had to almost deconstruct in a different kind of use of the word, uh, this uh, faith that they had formed uh, based on what they were drawn to via Instagram and social media and YouTube with these popular, what I call pop Christian pastors and what they really thought the Christian faith was. So I said, wow, this is actually a problem and a growing problem we haven't seen uh, really the full consequences of yet because it's very new. It's over the last you know, 10 to 20 years, kind of in that range. So really trying to almost foreshadow what's coming and trying to do whatever we can to help divert people towards the scriptures rather than this popular level Christianity we're seeing that's so prevalent on social media. So you talk about a new prosperity gospel, but it's not the same as what people normally think of when they think of the prosperity gospel. I think we think of send money and and you will prosper and you'll be rich and everything. That's not what you're talking about. What do you mean by this new prosperity gospel? Yeah, so the old prosperity gospel still exists, uh, you know, clearly. And that's the, you know, the the late night TV stuff. Hey, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. You give money to this uh, cause. He's going to drop a new car in your driveway, heal your disease, you know, those type of things. And that still exists, but it's always been very fringe. Now, be not mistaken, it's very dangerous. People are oftentimes uh, drawn to this and are really taken advantage of. So it's a serious thing. But this new prosperity gospel is really cool. It's really hip. It's not cheesy at all. It's trendy. It looks really great. Uh, It is uh, very, you know, it's well liked on Instagram, savvy, very attractive. And the messaging, rather than God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, instead it is that God wants your dreams to come true. And he wants to basically unlock this potential deep inside of you for you to go and accomplish great things. So God serves more as a life coach, uh, more than a genie. You know, the old prosperity gospel is more of a genie, you know, that grants you these wishes and brings you stuff. Uh, This God more exists as a life coach and an encourager uh, for you to be able to go and, and take on the world and go accomplish all the things that you wanted to accomplish. And what's really troubling is this only really makes sense, this messaging, in an affluent Western culture. Like it doesn't really make sense anywhere else. So how can this be a theology if it only really applies to a certain group of people, and usually that are young adults that are attractive, that have wealthy parents, and that have positioned them to go accomplish these things that the world would say are amazing things? Now, again, there's nothing wrong, and I'm more power to any believer that wants to go, you know, make lots of money or go move to a big city and have a great house. I think all that's wonderful. But when we think that God, his purpose in your life is for you to do that, and that's why he exists, I worry not only are we following a a version of God that we've made up and we've constructed, but also we're setting up a generation for major disappointment with God when all their dreams don't really come true. And in this new prosperity gospel, kind of the bad words and the heresy are things like an ordinary life or or just a mundane, a simple life, a basic life. Those are almost frowned upon as being not God's best for you. When I read the scriptures, I see that God's best for you is not defined by this world. You know, it's defined by following Christ and all that comes with that. So I just think we really need to talk about these kind of things. It's truly an issue that we're seeing facing a younger generation of Christians. So from what you're saying, you've described a, a younger generation of Christians, you've described uh, Instagram and social media. So this seems to be a fairly new phenomenon affecting a particular age group. Would that be correct? It definitely is. And that, that's why I'm saying we still don't fully even know what the end results of this is going to be for the church and for Christians, because it has existed fairly recently uh, with the rise of, of this kind of platform-driven Christianity. 
uh, for what really the celebrity matters and the savviness matters, the creativity, the branding, where you're seeing Christians spending more time talking about personal branding uh, than they almost are any other issue of their lives. Like that's a significant like kind of tenet of their lives is their personal brand. And when I see the scriptures, I see he must increase, I must decrease. That Jesus is concerned with our heart. He's concerned with our faithfulness. And he wants us to be part of his mission, uh, not the mission of ourselves trying to uh, create some brand. But here's what makes it interesting is that what the new prosperity gospel is doing is it's taking these type of selfish measures, but sprinkling Christian language on top of it. So we're saying things like God wants me to do this and God-sized dreams and and we're you know, Jesus, faith, God, you know, out of context Bible verses and sprinkling them on top of these things that makes people feel like it's okay. So on the surface, it doesn't sound heretical or anything like that. It sounds just Christian enough to be okay. It's allowing a lot of believers to be really uh, taken in hook, line, and sinker, as we would say down here, uh, by uh, this type of belief system. Is this affecting one corner of the church? We tend to think that there's a branch of the church that's more doctrinal and and cares more about theology. Is that corner exempt, or do you see that infiltrating almost every branch of Christianity? I think it has the potential to definitely infiltrate every brand, every single segment or tribe or, or, or camp uh, of the Christian faith, because really the main kind of driving force of this belief system is that God just wants you to be happy. Like, that's the goal. Like, God wants you to do more of what makes you happy. And I think that goes back to the Garden of Eden, that temptation, right? Where we think that oftentimes we have to go around God, not to him for all the things we're looking for in our lives. And with purpose, fulfillment, meaning, uh, belonging, that I have to go chase these other things rather than rest in the reality of who I am in Christ instead. And again, I'm not trying to say that it's wrong to go pursue things uh, for yourself. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that we believe that that is God's purpose for us and the Christian life is going after those things. I think that's the problem. Uh, so I think that any Christian can be uh, tempted and be lured into thinking that the purpose of God is my happiness, my agenda, you know, what I want in this moment. And it can be expressed in a lot of different ways. But where the segment inside, it really is a popular messaging uh, of, of this uh, Christian kind of, I, this, I would put Christian air quotes, uh, kind of idea really is targeting that young kind of doctrine light uh, kind of person that likes to say, that likes to just talk about. Uh, they want to talk about, like, they're finally talking about brokenness. They just don't want to talk about sin. Uh, they are going to talk about repentance. They're going to talk about a comeback. You know, God wants to take your setback and turn it into a comeback. Uh, rather than simply resting in the gospel, uh, they want to say the best is yet to come. And by that, they don't necessarily mean life with God. I would hope in, in, in living with, walking with Christ and life with God, that your marriage would be different, that your parenting would be different, your relationships would be different. Uh, obviously, the best is yet to come. We think about heaven and the new heavens, the new earth, and what's to come for believers for all eternity. That's not what they're talking about. Usually what it means is a church growing numerically. You know, it, it means uh, your personal platform expanding. Like it all really does go back to this idea of your brand going full throttle to what you want it to be. And I'm just really bothered by it, as you can tell, to the point where I wrote a book about it. The book's not all critical, but it helps us to see, okay, here's what this is. Here's the messaging. Here's the marketing. Here's what their church services look like. But also here are the real solutions for what it means to choose Christ instead of these things. Dean, where did this new prosperity gospel come from? And why is it growing? Why is it sweeping through the church at such a rapid rate? Well, so I'm going to answer the second question first. Why it's growing is because it's really 
it's really kind of intoxicating and it's really easy because you can go to a church and the message is going to be about your potential and about how God wants to do a greater thing through you. And by that, again, they're not talking about the great commission. They're talking about your personal ambition. Uh, so you can leave church every week feeling really great just about you and kind of, kind of an emotional high. I mean, that, that's what a football game does for us. And what going to a great concert does for us or, you know, going to see the Raptors win the championship. You know, that's what, that's what with Kawhi Leonard, that's what that does for us, right? Uh, so uh, what, again, I want our people on Sunday mornings who are part of City Church, I want them to leave feeling good, but I want them to leave feeling good about Jesus and, and what Christ has accomplished for them and what that means for their lives. I want them to feel really good about that. I want them feeling great about just themselves on their own. And it's a, it's a kind of messaging where, the cross and resurrection, yes, they believe in those things, but they're not really necessary for their faith because they're not even anywhere near a central component of the message. And that's not me being some kind of like watchdog, gospel-centered tribe, you know, stickler, even though I can't be that and I'll admit that. Uh, instead, it's more of a, it's just the messaging, it's just not dependent upon the work of Christ and where it comes from. And I've been, and even in writing the book, I really try to go, okay, what are the roots of this? And I think it's all kind of a collaboration of certain things. I think Instagram elevating and allowing Christians to show themselves and present themselves just like the world does. Hey, look at me. You know, I, I'm here too. I, I think it's kind of some of the, the end results of the church growth movement, uh, which was very much life coaching, you know, kind of life principles. Maybe those get boring after a while. So rather than just the life coaching to be about how to better my situation, I want life coaching on how to make my brand get bigger. Uh, and then another thing, and, and I don't know if you're comfortable with me naming names here, but I, I think the bridge between the old prosperity gospel and the new prosperity gospel is Joel Osteen. And why I think that is his theology is much more old prosperity gospel, but how he comes across is, isn't as fringy or strange as that movement can appear because he is much more polished, much more professional, a very good speaker. Uh, you know, a, a very clear writer. He's very inspiring. Uh, and, he, and he's not weird, you know, on the surface. I know so many unbelievers who watch Joel Osteen, you know, and they like him. And I'm like, so, and the reason is because he makes them feel good, right? So he's different than the old prosperity gospel. Because again, it's, it, it's not about getting you to give to this cause necessarily, but it has the theology of that with everything the new prosperity gospel wants. So basically, you could say the new prosperity gospel is a cooler, hipper, better dressed by the standards of 2021 young people, almost uh, follow up to Joel Osteen. Like he was almost like the godfather of it that you could say. And it's all over now. So you see in our area, we've got these hipster churches where everybody yeah. goes and they're known for, you know, you're going to have a great experience there. You're probably going to meet some cool people. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's the word. That's our favorite word experience so, toronto life had an article about the hippest churches in toronto right now and it was that it's like these are the churches where you're gonna go and it's gonna be great music and a great message and you're gonna walk away feeling good about yourself <laughs> it seems to be everywhere even in a post-christian city like toronto it, it's still present here that that's what draws yeah because you can be post-christian because the message doesn't really require much christianity you know, it, it's, it's very, it's going to be theistic. They're going to talk about God, talk about faith. But when Jesus, Jesus is presented more as the one that's going to help you be an overcomer, you know, of whatever is happening in your life, you just kind of get rid of the negativity in your life or what's holding you back. 
And really, it's designed for Jesus to make you a better you. And that's how it's presented. And I could see that happening, being, uh, being, I guess, popular in any kind of culture, from Bible Belt, where I live, in the deep south of the United States, uh, all the way to a post-Christian uh, city uh, like Toronto. So, Dean, help me out, because you know, I should be growing my platform if I want to write books. And I think there's a godly way to do that. And yet this can easily cross over to, I need to create a brand. I need to, you know, and I'm, I'm never going to be that hip pastor or whatever, but uh, I think the heart is very deceptive where you can begin to to flirt with that yourself. So help us out. How do we sort out our motives and and make sure that we're not falling into this this false gospel? Yeah, so the irony is not lost on me. I'm having a book called Getting Over Yourself that I'm promoting, <laughs> you know, around, around North America, right? Uh, so that, again, the irony is not lost on me. I think it goes back to motives. I, I want to check my heart every single day. But like, what am I trying to accomplish? And here's what happens in the New Prosperity Gospel is like, we talk about Jesus' encounter with John the Baptist, when Jesus kind of first comes on the public ministry scene. If anyone had a platform, yeah, he was a very, you know, kind of interesting individual, a little eccentric, uh, John the Baptist, but he certainly had a platform. Uh, to the point where people were even being confused and thinking they're being baptized into John's name, all uh, right? So he definitely, if anyone had anything to lose by the standards of this world, by Jesus coming, it would be John the Baptist in the moment. And what is John's response? He doesn't say, hey, there's the life coach, there's the motivator, you know, there's the dream caster, there's the visionary. He said, there's the Lamb of God. And then what's his, as in here, the Messiah has come, the long-awaited one. He is here. He's the point. He's the message. And then he says, guess what? He's got to increase because of who he is. And I have to decrease. Now, any Christian I know would be okay with saying that Jesus has to increase. But in the new prosperity gospel, we're all about Jesus increasing. We just want to do it with him. Just take me with you. <laughs> like, yes, Jesus increased, but I want to increase too. The thought of us decreasing, we have really not much interest in that whatsoever. Uh, so it goes back to just motives. Like, like who is Jesus? What, what is his, who, who is he and what actually was his purpose? You know, what does it mean to actually follow him? And how do I reconcile what I'm saying and promoting with his call to pick up our cross and follow him? And there's just no place for that in the new prosperity gospel. There's no context for suffering either. Uh, so if you go through suffering, the message of the, of the new prosperity gospel is not maybe this is what Jesus is doing to mature you, like James chapter 1, or to make you more like him, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 29, verse 28 and 29. Instead, it's God wants to give you this, this setback in your life to give you a comeback. He's got greater things in store for you. It all kind of goes back to that. Uh, so I, I think that for people that want to avoid that messaging, but also want to get the good news out to people to be heard through a podcast, a book, a preaching ministry, whatever it might be, look at the messaging and look at the motive. Like, what am I actually, who am I talking about? Who am I promoting? But like, what is my ministry really based on? And then second, what is my motive behind it? Is it about me increasing or is it about the message going out? And what message? Not that God wants to make you healthy and wealthy like the old prosperity gospel or that God wants you to live your best life now like the new prosperity gospel. But this is who Jesus is, and he will adhere to exactly what he claimed to be and what he came to do. And let's give our, he is worthy of our lives. His glory is our reward, right? That the greatest blessing of God is God himself. And that's what I, what I would like to, I, when I have conversations with some people that come out of new prosperity circles, I, I say, what do you think is the greatest blessing of God? It's not a trick question. I just want to know. And very rarely do they actually say God himself, that God himself is the greatest blessing. Like he is, the fact that he gives us himself. Usually all has to do with this material things of this world, which are, which are certainly blessings of God. And I want to be thankful for those things. I live in a, 
you know, in a suburban area and live a pretty comfortable life, you know, like by the standards of this world compared to many people. But I don't believe that is what the faith is about. You know, I believe the faith is about Jesus. And I want to preach a message that would translate into any city in any circumstance, in any situation of any believer anywhere in the world. That's that's so rich. It's so much better than material stuff, for sure. So you and I have probably buried a lot of people, and you sure. realize a lot of that stuff, as much as life is to be enjoyed. I love Ecclesiastes that keeps saying, enjoy life. Like the refrain is, it's all a vapor. You're going to lose it all, but still enjoy it. But at the yeah. end, you're going to lose it all. And living in that tension of, yeah, like God's blessings are all around us, right? Enjoy them, but don't live for them. Don't exactly. And don't equate having God's blessings with having God. Like that's one in the same. And, and I, I worry that if those things were taken away tomorrow. Uh, here's, here's what I worry about. So let's say like the platformed person that's, you know, really popular or, or whatever it might be. Could they make it pastoring a church in a small town where nobody knows their name? While being fruitful and making disciples in that small town, would that be enough for them? Uh, or for the followers of the New Prosperity Gospel, here's what worries me. Could they attend a church that didn't have an amazing experience? Like, could they make it there? Like, if they got relocated because their husband or wife moved their job, or they just got opportunity somewhere, they had to go take care of their elderly parents and had to go to name that small town in Toronto uh, tomorrow, but they didn't have a church that had the hip big boom experience, inspirational TED talk communicator, would they make it? Like, could they thrive in a church like that? And if the answer is no, then we have to ask the question, what is our faith really about? Like what, and again, I, our, our church, we have the, we have a big church and we love, you know, good sound system and good lighting and good. And we are, we take our, we love our band and it's rock and roll and, and all those kind of things. But if we weren't those things, well, we still have a mission and a message. And would our people still be able to fully love their church? And I would hope so. Because if not, we have to ask, what are, we, what are we winning them with? Because what you win somebody with, you win them too. So if we win someone with a new prosperity gospel, we win them to a new prosperity gospel. And if those elements are taken away, they have anything left to stand on faith-wise. I'm worried about that answer. In the beginning of the book, you mentioned somebody that you observed, you, you watched his ministry and it began kind of solid, but drifted eventually into this sort of new prosperity. And there is a subtle drift. So I want to ask you, I guess, two questions. How can we prevent that drift in our ministries? What can pastors do to lead their congregations away from this believe in yourself religion? Yeah. So I think the drift for this person I specifically was referring to happened by influences who all of a sudden he started listening to, being influenced by. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't have an echo chamber and shouldn't have you know, different opinions and different phases, you know, but who is primarily influencing us? And in a pastor world, if it's another pastor, another church, all of a sudden it's going to turn into, I want to be like that. I want to have that. Right? It's almost like a lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. You know, I, I want to feel that. I, I, want to, I want to have that from First John chapter 2. I mean, kind of that idea uh, where it happens like in a church context. Uh, so the influences start happening for the leadership role. They started going, wow, look at what they're doing. Let's start messaging that way and be that way. And, and that, that's inspiring and, and those type of things. And then the other side of it is the pragmatic side. So how we avoid not being that and shepherding our people away from this is we can't do everything in the name of pragmatism. It's not, I, I want, it's not always bad to be pragmatic, but when that's the driving force, that's the lens we see things through, that's how churches begin to drift down that road. 
Yeah, it's almost like you can't beat them, join them, you know, kind of mentality. And I think that's what to be really careful of is that it's not pragmatism that drives everything we do. Because again, what, what eventually happens, I don't see these guys like denying doctrines or denying things. They become silent on them. So I call it atheological in the book. Like you just don't know what these guys believe, but you just have no idea whatsoever uh, because they just don't talk about it. Why? Because that might be offensive. That might be controversial. Um, that doesn't have a great life application point principle at the moment to it. Those type of things. So, so when things just completely become in the name of pragmatism, that is when I begin to go, uh-oh, and get a warning flag that goes up and start to see people drift in that direction. And for our congregations and for ourselves, I think, what is it that drives us? Like, are, are, are we ashamed of the scriptures? You know, like, are, are we kind of embarrassed to be Christians? Do, do we not think the word is enough? But like, are we avoiding these hard subjects just simply because we think we know better? You know, and so I, and I, but I, I don't know how these churches are going to stand uh, as things continue to get more difficult. I just don't know how they're going to make it. Uh, when, and I don't, I don't even mean numbers and those kind of things, but in terms of just relevance, that's an overused word. But when you just begin to just echo the word's message and the changing culture that we're all in, I, I mean, eventually, why would I go to church there? I can just watch TV. I guess it's an inspirational message on YouTube. You know, like there's not actual real substance happening. And I think eventually we just got to go, it's not going to work. And the names of being pragmatic, that's what's so funny, is will this work in the long run? Because they're not going to have much that's differing from a world, the message of this world. So talk to me about preaching. In the book, you quote Christopher Wright, and I love this quote. Uh, he says, we ask, where does God fit into the story of my life? When the real question is, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? And I love that reframing because often church can be about, you know, here's four tips of how God can make your life better this week or, or five ways your marriage could be better this week, rather than asking, how can we, in a, a Psalm 8 way, see ourselves as being insignificant and yet somehow God has chosen us by his grace to play an outsized role in his mission, which might mean suffering, but it's, it's amazing that God even takes notice of us, never mind wants to use us. So how can we actually lean into that? As I hear you talk, by the way, I'm, I'm struck with how you have to misuse scripture a little bit to preach this false gospel, right? Um, you, you, have have to, to. you have to talk about slaying the giants of your life, which, I mean, that passage in 1 Samuel has got nothing to do with, about slaying, you know, cancer and, and financial debt and everything in our life. But it almost seems like we take these scriptures and try to twist them and make it about how God can fit in our lives. So yeah, talk to us about how we uh, preach and, and cast a vision for living in God's greater story rather than twist the scriptures to fit in ours. Yeah. So what's missing in New Prosperity Gospel churches is, is biblical theology. It's just not there. Uh, there's just no emphasis or really care about how the scriptures fit together and the whole storyline. So the way you're going to get David and Goliath completely off base is by not having any kind of biblical theology and seeing everything as isolated events that tell us a moral story rather than an entire harmonious storyline that tells us about who God is and what he's done for his people. So what's sad is that that is what gospel centrality really is. And what's sad is they have no interest in that because that just seems to them like maybe elementary or um, kind of like a new thing for new believers. Oh, I know all that stuff rather than seeing the beauty of it actually being the deep things of God, the entire story of who he is that he wants us to know as revealed himself to us through the scriptures and how he works. Uh, so sometimes you have to kind of debunk it for them as it comes. 
Uh, do I want people to have better marriages? Of course. So I want to take different passages. Like, we're, like we're, our church right now is going through the Bible in a year. It's a different kind of approach for us. We love going verse by verse to the books of the Bible. But this year we're doing an overview sermon of every book of the Bible, 66 books in one year. So sometimes we'll do two books together. Like this, two weeks ago, we did Jeremiah and Lamentations together because they flow together, right? It's part of the same story. We did Judges and Ruth together, as an example. Uh, so what we did with this is we actually had to stop and camp out for a minute at Jeremiah 29, 11, which is one of the new Prosperity Gospel Church's favorite Bible verses. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, right? Plans that prosper you, give you a future, not harm you, those, th- th- those type of promises. So we just kind of use that as something to give to a high school graduate, right? God knows the plans he has for you. Of course, God knows the plans he has for you. You and I both believe in the sovereignty of God, uh, right? But what does this mean in this context? Well, he's talking to people who are in exile in Babylon about what faithfulness looks like, you know, in, in this moment, in this city, in this time of their lives, and then what God has in store for his people for the long term, ultimately fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah. When people in the New Prosperity Gospel and, and are, not, are, are uh, quoting Jeremiah 29, 11, Babylon and exile and God's people are nowhere near their minds. <laughs> like all they're talking about in that context is you. And you're going to go accomplish whatever you put your mind to because God has your back and he knows the plans he has for you rather than missing this amazing story uh, that lets us know how God has been dealing with his people and how he's going to deal with his people for all eternity. And we're just totally missing out on these things. So there's a discipleship crisis. Because our people are not learning the Bible. They're, they're learning isolated stories of really this, that, that the goal of it is some kind of moral principle you can take away. I think application matters a lot. I think there's personal things you should take away from the Bible. But when you first, and I hope you do, but when you first approach the Bible, back to that Christopher Wright quote, okay, where, what's, what's that to say to me? Where, where am I in this? Rather than saying, what does it say about God and how does that matter for me? there's a shift that needs to happen from one to the other. And then I think we'll begin to not see the Bible as boring. Uh, I think we'll be able to be captivated by every part of the Bible. Uh, yeah, you'll struggle through Leviticus a little bit like anybody does, you know, but, but when you see the glorious grand narrative of God's story, so for our people, it's been at our church, it's been so amazing to see our members and to see their guests they bring go, oh, wow, I just never, I never saw how God was working in this book. I just kind of saw it as a bunch of history or just a bunch of names and cities and and laws. I, I didn't see God's hand. I don't understand how, how Jesus makes sense to me now from the Old Testament based on this. And, and now when I read the New Testament, I'm reading it completely different than I did before because I see how the Bible fits together. There's no category for that in these new prosperity gospel churches. And that should concern us a lot. So you mentioned you've got young people who come to the university there and end up in your church that maybe have been raised or, or at least they bought into this, uh, this self-made, believing in yourself religion. How do you disciple them into the, the true gospel? So it begins by helping them see what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And again, it's not all critical. It's not like we're sitting up there just bashing things the entire time. But when they get exposed to the, the actual gospel of Jesus Christ, the like gospel centrality, I don't mean that in some kind of cliche kind of way. Back to what I just talked about, like how the Bible really, how, how God really speaks to his people through the story of the scriptures and how every page is about, it points us back to Christ and about how God is the agent of our salvation from start to finish. I mean, like, like even before the start, because we can't, even, we can't even comprehend, you almost can see their faces make this sort of, oh, and you'll see people go, I, that, that, that's not what, that, what I grew up, not what I heard before. Like, this is the true gospel. 
Uh, we had a guy who came to our church named Jake. He was a university student. Uh, came from a bigger city uh, here to Tallahassee. And his exposure to things of the Christian faith were what we're talking about. It was all the new prosperity gospel. Name those five celebrity Instagram famous preachers. That, that those kind of those little quotes with dramatic backgrounds and perfectly branded. That was kind of the faith to him. Church is an experience, that, that type of idea. And his first time he ever came to our church, he jokes that he thought now, and now he jokes, but he said he thought we were mean. And I said, oh, no, I don't want to come across as mean. You know, was our tone bad? Was our, he goes, no, 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 had nothing to do with any of that. Y'all were telling me that I was a sinner <laughs> and needed repentance and, and that God ultimately was more impressed with his glory and, and, and with himself than he was with me, <laughs> but that God loved me at the same time. Uh, so he said that just started rocking his world. And he started going, wait a second. I, I had been going to all these, these church experiences and this conference, and this Christian concert and all these things and never really had heard much of that before. I was more just told that like, God was a big, huge fan of me and that God wanted me to live my best life. And that it, and then some good things like that. My, my best life was not going to be in my past, you know, the, the past things I had done, but this new, and there's some things that were good. Like he wasn't living for, he wasn't living in sin anymore. Thank God. You know, th those type of things he did get positively uh, from his past church experience, but the faith was really kind of about an emotional high and a feeling in the moment and about him being happy. And when he first heard the gospel, he thought we were mean because <laughs> we talked about sin and repentance. But now that he knows the Lord and is walking with Jesus, it's like his, it's like scales came off his eyes and he gets to actually live in joy that God is enough, that Jesus himself is the blessing. Right. And that's just been a total game changer for him is that in or by seeing what the real thing was, he got to see the fraud of the other thing. So we'd have to go up there and beat it up every week. You know, we do mention it in certain contexts and times. Uh, he got to see the real thing and go, wait a second here. I've been duped by this other stuff. And, and, I, and that's just a kind of, I tell that story in the book in a little more detail, but that, that's a kind of a win of helping somebody who was going to come here to go to the university, have their eyes open to the joy of actually following Jesus rather than some kind of Americanized, North Americanized, affluent Westernized, you know, version of the Christian faith. Is this version of of the gospel, is it a North American thing or do you see it in other continents or, or places around the world too? The new prosperity gospel is very much a North American and Western thing. You'll see it in Western Europe as well. It, it's very, very much a Western thing and it very much belongs to a more affluent, and by, I, I mean affluent, I don't mean you're a millionaire, uh, but affluent by the standards of the rest of this world. Uh, you know, so uh, the old prosperity gospel is in third world countries. It is you know, sadly, it has infiltrated uh, some of the poorest areas of the country, uh, such as that. I guess it offers some kind of hope uh, for poor people. It's like a good luck charm or, or what we would call a lottery ticket or where it might be. Uh, this new prosperity gospel, though, is very urban. And by urban, I don't mean that like in a racial context. I mean more in like a, a big city hip kind of context. Uh, very urban. Uh, it's uh, very much a lot of these people were actually raised in evangelical homes. You know, and there's almost kind of like a way to still be in the faith, but kind of rebel a little bit against mom and dad's church. It was traditional and in their eyes, boring. Uh, and I think it's also why you're seeing some people return back to more liturgical forms of worship uh, in a younger generation is because I think they're just kind of getting burned out uh, by everything always being the over the top show. And they just want a little more of a participatory service where it's not all eyes on the stage. You know, it's, I, I want a chance to be able to recite scripture with my church family and pray with my church family. and and those type of things. But I do think, to answer your question, not in too long of a manner, that I do think it largely is a Western, more affluent uh, context for sure. 
Dean, I want to ask you a couple of more personal questions as we wrap up. What are you learning right now? So what I'm learning right now uh, that, I, that I'm seeing become a reality in my life is the context, the title of this book. <laughs> I was like, what it really means to get over myself. And where I saw that play out was during COVID. Yeah, and, and where I live, we're really open now uh, in terms of the, the, the city and churches are back open and restaurants and schools and everything. Uh, so once the vaccine came into play, our governor of our state in Florida said, hey, the vaccine's here. So we're going to now, you know, he likes to say, live like we've had our vaccine. So just to give you some context of what it's like here. Uh, but before that, like we weren't having church services. And that was, it came out of nowhere. It was like all of a sudden, suddenly, and I found myself just kind of having pity parties and thinking my world was over and kind of poor me and woe is me and what happened to my church that I pastor. And, 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 I, and I just kind of learned that, that, that God's just, you know, yes, God hears our prayers. Yes, we can lament some. But my lament wasn't some kind of spiritual lament. It was more just like a pity party for me. And, and I just kind of, kind of am learning, hey, like, you're a steward of this. You know, this, this is not designed so you can be fulfilled by being a pastor or be fulfilled by leading a church as an elder. But this is about God's glory. And if God's glory is going to be through COVID or God's glory is going to be a gajillion people in the building for Easter, you know, like this is not about you. You know, God's going to get his glory regardless. That's been a big thing for me uh, in terms of what I'm learning. It's just that constant just battle that this, this thing here, like you talked about, how, how do guys who are gospel-centered guys, you know, who come from a, you know, reform persuasion like, 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 like I do, but like how do we make sure that we're not caught up in the new prosperity gospel? And I think the answer is that. Be, be very aware that you can be. So then the new prosperity gospel is not I was going to get caught up in these preachers or in this Instagram vacation of the faith. I was going to get caught up in, what about me? Like, where am I in this? Well, wh- why aren't I getting to preach in front of a crowd anymore? Why, why aren't I getting to go to, the, why is this conference I'm speaking out getting canceled? Why, I mean, just ridiculous things. And in my head, I'm just having these little pity parties. And I'm learning that, 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 that this is about God's glory and about faithfulness and about, and about being you know, his people more than it's about me advancing anything on myself. So really the book <laughs> is kind of what I'm, you know, and as I'm going around talking about the book, I'm like preaching to myself. But I'm not drawn to those preachers, but I can be drawn to that mindset. You know, and God's just humbling me through that. And what's encouraging you right now? Let me tell you what, the local church. I, I mean, truly, like that has been lifeline for me. The, the local church and really seeing what it, what it looks like for people to love their church uh, because they love their Savior. And um, our church is going through the Bible in a year, not just in preaching, but we're actually all reading through the scriptures on a reading plan, the, the McShane plan uh, together. And people are actually doing it. <laughs> that's been really neat. Uh, so that's encouraging. I get so much life out of being a part of the local church, like, like and not just on Sunday, being around church members. Like, it, it just truly fires me up. Uh, so my family loves the local church. Like that truly, it's not some like pastor answer. Like, and I, maybe that's why I struggled so much too. Some of it was my own get over yourself kind of things. But all of a sudden we couldn't meet anymore. I think I went through some depression as well, you know, and because I, I love, it's not just a job thing. I love the local church. I wasn't the pastor. I would love the local church. And so that, that's, that's what gives me a lot of life. In your book, you talk about a desire to see well-meaning believers move from a self-focused Christianity to one fueled by, centered on, and passionate about Christ. And you say, what better God than the only God? What better hope than our Savior? What better calling than the one to come to die to ourselves and to be with him forever? That is a great desire. That's my desire, too. Let's pray that would happen, and let's work to make that happen. So thank you for your book. I really appreciate it. And thank thank you for your ministry and for joining us today. Thank you, and uh, go Blue Jays. Hope you all get them back in town pretty soon. (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) Thanks, Dean. Take care. Thank you.